Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. I want to welcome you to our third installment of a series, of a message series we've entitled His. Um, his time, his talents, his treasure. Inside of your bulletin today, you'll find an outline uh, that's entitled His Treasure. It's the third installment, as I mentioned. And we're talking about today how our treasures, how our wealth and our possessions, they all belong to the Lord because we belong to the Lord. And so if you take this outline out, the first blank, I'll invite you to fill that in with me. We belong to God and all of our treasures are his. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks or take some notes, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be coming up and down the aisles uh, passing a pen to you. And I get that idea that all of our treasures are his because the Bible tells us in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Would you read that with me, please? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. That includes you. And that includes me, because I'm one of the people who lives on the earth, and so are you. That's why we developed these, uh, Scott mentioned these dog tags, and people have been picking these up. We've got some available for you if you haven't been with us or you haven't picked one up the last couple of weeks. It just says his on it. I mean, my life belongs to him. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how my time belongs to him, uh, my talents, my abilities and skills belong to him, and today we want to talk about my treasures, my wealth and resources belong to him as well. And, uh, you know, we've encouraged people, you can wear it around your neck, and I, or you can put it on a keychain. Everything on my keychain belongs to him. My car belongs to him. My house belongs to him. My office belongs to him. So does my job. My gym membership belongs to you know, I haven't used that enough. But anyway, uh, we'll get into that later. But the idea is that everything I have belongs to him. And today, I want to share with you how important it is and what the Bible has to say about this, that we use our treasures, our wealth, and our resources for his glory. The Bible has a lot to say about it. I want to give you a, uh, a few insights on that this morning. Can we pray, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to be here today, and I pray that you will bless our discussion this morning. I pray, Lord, that um, you'll speak, that you'll move me out of the way, and Lord, we can learn from your word. I thank you for your word, which guides us in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, we need guidance on how to use our treasures for you. I pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it belongs to him. The world and all its people belong to him. <clears throat> and so uh, it's important to understand that all our treasures are his because we're his. Secondly, God has work for us to do. And this is point A. I belong to him and he has work for me to do. He has work for you to do. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's Ephesians 2.10. So right where you wrote in us, put your name in there. God has work for John to do, for me. He's got, put your name in there. God has work for Tom to do. God has work for Sally to do. God has work for each one of us. So I'm him. I'm his. I mean, I'm not him. I'm his, okay? I'm his. I belong to God, and God has work for me to do. Point C, or point B on here. So God expects us to use our wealth and resources to accomplish the work that he has for us to do. I belong to him. He has work for me to do. He's given me time. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, a limited amount of time. I don't know how much is left, so I got to get after this. And he's given me skills and abilities to get the work done. He's also given me wealth and resources. And the Bible is very clear about this. In fact, Jesus talked about this a lot. One of the things he said that was very clear was, he said, you know, we need to make this clear from the beginning that you understand you're here for a limited amount of time and you're supposed to use your resources for God's glory. Jesus put it this way, don't hoard treasure down here 
where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasures in heaven where it's safe from moths and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you'll most want to be. I mean, it really does tell us about our priorities and where we long to be. If I look at all the things in this world and I say, well, they're not his, they're mine. I earned the money. It's my stuff and I'll hang on to it. Well, then we hoard it here in this world instead of sending it ahead and storing up treasures in heaven. And that's a bad idea. Because first of all, we can't hang on to the treasures that are in this world. We leave them behind when we die. A hundred years ago, um, there was a reporter that once asked uh, J.P. Getty, who was the wealthiest man in the world at the time, and said, you know, how much money do you want to make? He said, a dollar more than I have today. And a few years later when he died, uh, this same reporter went up to his accountant and said, well, how much money did Mr. Getty leave? And his accountant wisely said, all of it. Left it all. You can't take it with you. There aren't any trailer hitches on hearses. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's not one. You can't take it with you. So how foolish is it to hoard up stuff in this world and hang on to as much as we can and then to realize when we die one day, somebody else is going to get it all anyway? Well, if that's not the goal, then what is? Well, Jesus said, hey, look, the earth is the Lord's. I mean, he lived his whole life the way Psalm 24, 1 describes it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him. He said, look, everything you have belongs to your heavenly father. He has work for you to do and you need to use your wealth and resources to get that work done. Paul talked about this to Timothy. He said, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. And then he gives a couple of ways to do that. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, and always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience real life, true life. If you and I are going to send our money ahead to heaven, then we need to use it to do good for others and not hoard it for ourselves. To take care of people in need, to bless people. And also, the next scripture tells us, to carry out the mission for which God has left us here. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven, I'm going to go prepare a place for you and everything's ready. I'm coming back to get you. Till then, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to teach them the same things I taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you till the very end of the age. I'll help you with this. And so Christians have always gathered together and they've pooled their resources to help carry out this mission. Romans 10, Paul reminds us of this, how important this is. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? So that's why at our worship services, we don't have a problem passing those baskets and collecting a morning offering to pay the salaries of ministers and to help with missions and help with ministries all over the place. We're starting up sites at numerous places to reach more and more people for Christ. Well, and there are people who are stepping forward, answering a call to ministry and saying, I'll go and start that site. I'll be a part of that. Well, how are they going to go unless we help them go? And that's going to require funds. And so we chip in. So if I'm going to store up treasures in heaven, I want to use my resources to accomplish what God wants, helping the poor and the sick and the needy 
and spreading the good news. It's all part of the deal. And so God expects us to do that, to use our wealth and resources to accomplish the work he's given us. Now, and that brings us to point two. So you and I need to evaluate, hey, am I making the most of the treasures that God entrusted to me? Because that's what God wants. He wants us to seek how we can make the most of the treasures that God has entrusted to us. It's not a question of whether or not this is the right thing to do. We can't take it with us anyway. It's a question of, well, how do I get this done? Jesus told some parables that helped really get to the heart of the matter and help expose motives and make sure we're doing things the right way. Here's what Jesus said. This is from Matthew 25. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion of their abilities. And if you would please underline that phrase, Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Well, then the man went on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. And after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Please circle his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now we'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. And I earned two more. And the master said the same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And if you would serve in one of those sentences there, circle the word faithful. We're going to come back to that too. Faithful. But then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, turn the page. He didn't say that. I said that. Okay. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. He hadn't lost a cent. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, then why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's a phrase in there, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10, to those who use well. If you'd underline, to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. It's a principle by which God distributes his resources. And so there's three notes, and I had you underline those things because they tie with the notes in your outline here. First of all, I want you to note that God entrusts us with treasures according to our abilities. God entrusts us with treasures according to our abilities. God is the one who made us. We talked about last week, he's given us talents and abilities, and he knows exactly what we can handle. And so some of us receive five bags of silver, some two, and some one according to what we can handle. And there's a a myth going around that if I just had more money, I'd be happier because money equals happiness. And yet we all know stories, the stories abound 
of athletes or superstar actresses and actors and other things, they make boatloads of money and they're not happy. You can also find tons of stories. All you got to do is Google lottery winners and what happened to them or lottery winners, disaster, or whatever you want. And you'll pull up story after story. I, I did that this morning and I pulled up one article and it was an article of 19 people whose lives had been ruined by the lottery, by winning the lottery. They would say, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. They went broke. Some of them got divorced. Some had been robbed and beaten. They had been taken advantage of right and left. They'd made bad investments. Some of them died of drug overdoses. It was terrible. It was a litany of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And we think, you know, God, I would be a good steward of what, I'd be a good manager, but Lord, I just need more. And yet, according to this, according to this story, Jesus said, no, you need to be faithful in what you have. And that brings us to the next note in your outline. God expects and rewards faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness. He didn't expect the guy with two bags of silver to earn five. He just expected the guy with two to earn two. And you get the idea. He'd have been very happy with the guy who had one bag if he'd just earned one more. He didn't expect them to go at the same level as the guy who had started with five to begin with. He just wanted them to be faithful with what they were given. This matches and it lines up with Jesus, what Jesus said in Luke 16. He said, look, if you're faithful in little things, then you'll be faithful in large ones. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, well, who's going to trust you with the true riches of heaven? I mean, this is the way you and I think. We want people who work for us to be faithful, to show up for work, to do an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. And God expects the same from us. Now notice, it should give us comfort on this. God isn't expecting people who can't earn as much or were never given as much in the first place to get exactly the same amount. And God isn't leaving, he doesn't reward only people who are better than everybody else. Notice it says, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't say, well done, good and beautiful servant. Well done, good and highly intelligent servant. Well done, good servant who has more advanced degrees than anybody else on your block. Well done, good and tall servant. It doesn't depend on that. It doesn't depend on whether we're tall or beautiful or smarter than everybody else. What God rewards is faithfulness. And that should give us great comfort. I don't have to be better than anybody else. I just have to be faithful with what I've given. I'm not in competition with you. And God doesn't want us to compete with each other. And he doesn't want us to go around craving all the time. Well, now, God, I'd be faithful if you gave me what Sally had. God, I'd be faithful if you gave me what Billy had. Then, then, oh, yeah, then I'd do something. Yeah, God, you let me win the lottery, and I'll tithe off of that. I promise. You give me 100 million, 10 million of it's yours. I can live on the other 90. I can get by and we make deals like that with God all the time and never even once consider about the fact, well, are we being faithful with what we have? Because if he gave us a lot more, I mean, and we don't even balance the checkbook we, we have now, how are we going to be faithful stewards of more if it's his? Finally, it's important to note that God takes away resources from those who squander what they have. Took it away from the guy, the one away from the guy who didn't do anything with it and gave it to the guy with 10. It's the same thing when you're looking for people to volunteer for something that people you always want to volunteer, people with their calendars covered up already. Why? Because they get things done. I mean, you want somebody who's going to manage your money well. I mean, if you went and took your money to an investment broker and he just didn't do anything with it, and 10 years later he gave it back to you and said, Yeah, I didn't lose any of it, but I didn't make any money. It's like, Well, yeah, but here's the problem I'm 10 years older and I was counting on that for retirement. It didn't grow. 
I'm going to put my money, take it away from you and give it to that guy over there who's getting a better return on the investment. Now, if we know that, God doesn't know that. Well, of course he does. And so he entrusts his resources to his children and expects us to make the most of them. By the way, this is why Christians have always taken such a dim view of gambling. Now, if it's my money, easy come, easy go. Hey, I'm going to take my retirement funds and let it ride on number 27 red and let's see what happens. Well, if it's my money and I can do whatever I want, sure, I can blow it for an evening's entertainment. But if it's his money, now wait a minute. That's not good stewardship. And if mama needs a new pair of shoes, she might lose her shoes. And it doesn't matter how many times you blow on the dice. That's not what God wants us to do. High-risk wagering is not good stewardship. And that's why Christians have come out strongly against this. Because we only have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of resources. And one day, we're going to have to give an account for how we use those. So why would I go blow it on something that's high-risk? Well, that's not smart. And it's not good management. And that brings us to the last two points that I want to make here in your outline. If I'm his and God has work for me to do and he's given me resources to get that done, wealth and resources, then I need to make sure I never lose sight of that. And there are two things I want to give you today that will help us make sure we always keep in focus, keep our focus on the right thing. First of all, generosity is important. Generosity will remind us that all of our treasures are his and not our own. Generosity keeps us from hoarding things in this world and if we're generous, we'll be redistributing things and God will bless us for it. Point A, God entrusts us with wealth and resources so that we can be generous to others. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 9. God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. He'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when, we take, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. When we are generous, God says, hey, if you're willing to give and use my resources for my work, doing good, helping the poor, helping expand the ministry of the church around the world, well, this is a good thing. And if you're faithful with those things, if you're that kind of person, the person who's been faithful with little will be entrusted with more. And Paul's saying the same thing here generosity reminds us that this is all his. So we need to learn to be generous to others. Secondly, we also need to be, God entrusts us with wealth and resources so we can be generous to him. He expects us to contribute to his work. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and then your barns will be filled with overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Same principle again. If you're generous to others and you're generous to the Lord, then he'll make sure you have everything you need and even more to give away. If you're faithful with little, he'll give you more. But we just say, God, give me more, and I might decide to maybe be generous someday, maybe. Nope, you're not getting it. Because I want you to be generous. Now, I want to just stop right here and make a couple of comments. Not long ago, I got an email from somebody, and they said, well, John, I don't know how to answer this question. A friend of them had asked the question. They said, well, they had some, uh, a friend who was a, agnostic or atheist or whatever had written them and said, well, doesn't it prove that Christians don't really believe in God if they have to pass an offering basket or an offering plate on Sunday morning? And there was a link to an article that basically said that, that 
Christians prove they don't believe in God if they pass an offering plate. Because if there's a real God, and if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then why doesn't he just sell some of them and the money just miraculously appear every week in the offering plate? I mean, if there's a real God. Well, it's because the reasoning is all backward. I mean, since they don't believe in God, they, don't also, and they obviously haven't read the Bible and, understand, and tried to understand what God's trying to do in our lives. We're his children, and he's trying to teach us to be like him. And one of the ways that he teaches us about being generous is by entrusting things to us so that we can learn to be like him in generosity. I do it with my kids. When they were small, before Christmas, about this time of year, they would go Christmas shopping with their grandfather and things, and I'd give them like a $10 bill when they were little. Here's money to go and buy a gift for me and your mom. Okay? And so I would entrust my money to my kids so they could buy me a gift. Now, as C.S. Lewis points out in Mere Christianity, only a fool would think I was $10 to the good. And you could make the argument, well, John, just keep the money yourself. Cut out the middleman. I mean, you paid for it. What's the use in giving them a gift just so they can give it right back to you? Well, there'd be no use in that at all if I was just trying to get $10 worth of pleasure or something. But I'm not. The reason that I gave them the money was I said, I'm giving you this money, even though I know you're going to use it to buy me a gift, because I want to teach you about gift giving. Christmas gifts are important. And it's important that you think and you plan ahead and that you shop wisely so you can give a gift which really means something. I want them to learn that early on. Now, we do this with all of our kids. And we know we're no better off for it, but we do it and we go, it's not better off for it. We're doing it because we're trying to teach them about generosity. Now, again, I'm an earthly father and I know this, but God doesn't know how to raise his kids. And to that atheist argument, by me giving them the money and asking them to give it back does not mean I didn't exist. I exist. I gave them the money. Well, then why did you want them to give it back? Didn't you have any more? Yes, I had plenty of money. I gave it to them to teach them. To be like me. Can you imagine how hard it is to be God? (laughs) He tries to teach us lessons. He gives us blessings. And then because miraculous money doesn't miraculously appear in offering plates, people go, oh, there is no God. I mean, he can't win for losing. We make up foolish arguments like that. That is just foolish and backwards. But God has entrusted us with money the same as I've entrusted my kids to teach us how to be generous. And yet, if we hoard it all, we've completely missed the point. And that brings us to a note here. Look, being generous is not dependent on our income. It's not. There's a, Jesus covered this as well. While Jesus was in the temple one day, he watched the rich people dropping in their gifts at the collection box, and then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they've given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. Generosity wasn't depending on their income. She gave what she could. Now you're back to again according to her ability. And Jesus knew. God knows. He doesn't expect you to give money you don't have. Can you be generous with what you and I, can you and I be generous with what we do have? I've learned this lesson over and over again from people. Um, man, one of the strongest lessons I ever saw in this happened when I was on a mission trip to Mexico a few years back. Got there late at night, and I was assigned by a missionary to stay with a man who was part of a church in that town. 
we were doing a construction project at that church and getting to know the people there. So we got there late at night and I was driven to this man's house and dropped off there and I went to stay with him and I didn't speak Spanish. You know, I could say hello and he didn't speak much English and he kind of led me to a room, a bedroom and I went in there and laid down. I saw him as I, as I was closing the door. I saw him go across the hall into another room, open the door and close the door behind him. And so the next morning when I woke up, went to the work site and got to meet the missionary. And then he said, how'd you sleep? I said, I said, I slept great. And he said, where'd you sleep? I said, well, I, get, I slept in the guest bedroom and you know, the guy who was my host, he slept in his. And he said, well, he doesn't have a guest bedroom. I thought, well, that's weird. I mean, I mean, I know I saw him walk across the hall. So that night when I got back to the guy's place where I was going to stay there again, before I went into my room, I opened the door across the hall. And it was a little storeroom with a water heater in there, a bunch of boxes and a sleeping bag on a cement floor. He only had one bed. He gave it to me. I've never done that. He had one bed, and he was willing to share it. He was just generous with what he had. Another time, I was sharing this principle with a group of college students, and had one college student come up, and he was really excited afterward, and he said, yep, this is something God convicted me on, and here's what I did, and held up a picture of a child that he had adopted through Compassion International. He said, I am a student, and my mom and dad pay for college, and I just kind of have to earn my spending money, and so I wanted to be obedient to this, so I decided that I would donate one pizza a month or one evening out a month. And so one Friday night and Saturday, he'd take up the total amount of money he would have spent on pizza and entertainment or what else he was doing and worked out to about $35 a month, he said, and that was what it cost to adopt a child to Compassion International. And so he said, so I'll stay home one weekend a month so that child can go to school and eat. He wasn't given as much as Bill Gates could. He was faithful with what he had. The guy that I stayed with gave me the only bed he had. What about you and me? I mean, what if God's trying to teach us to be generous? And what if he's given us a lot and he wants us to give a lot? Are we willing to cooperate? I mean, it's his. It's his. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. He says, if you're faithful with the little I give you, I'll give you more. So generosity will remind us that all of our treasure is his. And here's another big key. Thanksgiving will remind us that all of our treasure is his. Now, why on earth did I pick that this week? Hmm. Oh, yeah. We have a national holiday this Thursday. National holiday set aside for exactly this reason. To give thanks to Almighty God for his many blessings. That's really why the holiday was created. I thought it was created to overeat and watch football. No, that's what we've made it. That was not why it was created. It was created so we could give thanks to God for his blessings. Is that really necessary? Oh yeah, it's necessary. Because we're going to forget otherwise where everything came from. And we're going to stop believing things are his. And we're going to start believing things are ours. Moses knew this. And before the children of Israel entered the promised land, he warned them about forgetting about God's provision and his kindness to them. He said, it's going to happen. They'd been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Every day they had to pick up manna early in the morning. Literally bread from heaven, daily bread. 
Give us this day our daily bread. God really had been giving them daily bread for 40 years. But the Bible says once they entered the promised land, the manna stopped, and now they had to live off the produce of the land. And Moses said, when you enter the promised land, that's going to be the time to be careful. Deuteronomy 8. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build fine homes, fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, well, it's my power and the strength of my hands that have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Mm. Not his, it's mine. It's my money. It's my strength, my might that's produced all this. And if I look foolish to you right now, you can laugh, okay? Think how foolish we look before God. He has entrusted us with his funds. And he said, hey, I want you to be generous with what I've given you. Go out and do something nice for somebody. No, it's mine. Can you imagine if my kids would have taken that and said, nope, dad, I'm keeping it. What does it say? There would be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There would have been wailing and gnashing of teeth at my house. And we would never expect that of our children. We'd go, what? Do you not get this? It's my money. I'm teaching you how to be generous. And if you're generous with it this year, I'll give you more next year. Now, again, we know this and God does not. He's our heavenly father. And we just don't get it. So what he wants us to do is he wants us to use his money to be gen- and be generous with it. And he also wants us to give thanks for what we received and never forget that it came from him. If we give thanks, we are much less likely to forget that all of it is really his. And that's the idea behind this tag, just to help us remember. Boy, it's so easy to do that. People all around us acting like everything's theirs. My car, my house, my paycheck, I earned it. Well, yeah, but don't you realize if God didn't give you breath in your lungs, if he didn't give you another day to live, your heart could stop beating right now. And remember how you prayed to get that job that you say you earned it? Remember how you prayed and prayed, oh, God, give me the job. And for a while you said, thank you. And now you've forgotten completely about that. And God loves us. But he just doesn't want us to ever forget that everything's his. My house is his. My car is his. My job is his. It's his. And I need to make the most of it as his child. So I'm going to give him thanks. And one of the ways that Christians have given thanks throughout the centuries is by observing the Lord's Supper, which is what Jesus told him to do. Jesus said, I don't ever want you to forget what I did for you on the cross. In fact, the night before he was nailed to that cross, he gathered his disciples together for a Passover meal. And during the meal, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he passed it among the disciples and he said, I want you to eat of this. And so they took the bread and they ate. So this is my body, broken for you. For the sins of the whole world. As often as you eat of this, remember me. And the next day, 
when the disciples saw Jesus' body nailed to the cross, they remembered what the bread was all about. They understood it then. God was not stingy. He sent his own son to die on the cross. That was the bargain. My son dies, so you live. Never forget this. And after the meal was over, Jesus took a cup of wine and he passed it among his disciples and he said, I want you to drink of this. This is my blood. It shed for the forgiveness of sins of the whole world. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. So they passed it around and they drank. And the next day when they saw the blood flowing from the thorns in his head, on the crown, from the crown of thorns on his head, from the nails in his hands and his feet, and they watched a hole being pierced in his side, and they saw him die, they realized that he died so they could live. The one who was sinless, who never sinned, became sin on our behalf. And Jesus said, never forget. Remember me. Give thanks. So this morning, I'm going to ask our worship team to come up here now. We're going to invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. It's an act of thankfulness, an act of gratitude, where we celebrate the generosity of God, and we say, oh God, you sent your own son. Who could be so generous? When you died on the cross for our sins, you gave everything so we could be free. Of the punishment we were due, the bill we owed, he paid. He said, I want you to remember me. And so we're going to remember this together. And we'll invite you to come in just a minute. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And after that, I'm going to invite you to come. There are tables in the back of the room, in the front of the room. They all contain the same thing. So you can go wherever the line is shortest. The trays with small pieces of bread and small cups of grape juice. We'll ask you to pick up the cup of juice, bread, return to your seat and hold it until everyone here has been served. After we've all been served, I'm going to lead us in a brief meditation and we'll eat the bread and drink the cup together. This table is open. The tables are open for all who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and surrender their lives to him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that he died on the cross for my sins. And on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, before I thank you for my house or my car or my clothes or my food, Lord, I want to thank you for Jesus. If you have not yet today told the Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins, thank him now. God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and thank you for Jesus. Oh God, I pray as we come forward to pick up the bread and the cup this morning, I pray that you'd remind us that your love is lavish and you are not stingy. Bring this home to us, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.